When a layman has to preach a sermon, I think it is most likely to be useful or even interesting if he starts exactly from where he is himself, not so much presuming to instruct as comparing notes. And that's so, uh, so very much like Lewis. Uh, and that was the first line in, in a little address that's in the last uh, address in The Weight of Glory, if you want to look that up. The slip of the tongue. It's a very delightful little read. And uh, uh, yeah, I, as I was preparing, I walked in this morning, uh, Roxanne says, well, have you figured out what you're going to say yet? <laughs> I said, well, I just tied it up this morning. Thanks for asking. <laughs> you know, preparation is sometimes a process and uh, sometimes it changes. But uh, yeah, my daughter, Jess, I just sent out a simple text to, to pray for for this message, and she sends back like four paragraphs of encouragement, you know, and she's kind of like that. Uh, but she said, uh, one of the things she said was, just don't try to be Jeremy, just be yourself. So I'm wearing a suit, <laughs> as is my way, and uh, I, I might try, uh, um, I might try standing behind the pulpit and ending on time as two other points of distinction. <laughs> We'll see how it goes. No guarantees on that. But, uh, yeah, just as, just as good encouragement. Uh, I was talking to, with Eli one time. We were actually in a family gathering. And Eli was, was observing the ladies uh, playing with Reuben and, and occupying Reuben. And he says, you know, those ladies are so much better at occupying Reuben than, than we men are. And I said, well, Eli, you know why that is? Because when we're occupying Reuben, we're doing it for the purpose of accomplishing something else. When the ladies are occupying Reuben, they're occupying themselves with Reuben. That's a distinct difference. They know why they're occupying Reuben. They're doing it for him. We're oftentimes, as men, maybe not you, me, uh, doing it so that we can accomplish something else. And then it's, why is this child so hard to keep occupied? Because we're not occupying ourselves with the child. And, uh, you know, there's a little saying, uh, uh, Simon Sinek, uh, a secular writer, has a great little book on why uh, that I would recommend. It's a good read for a secular read. Uh, but it's, uh, uh, those who accomplish, those who know why, Always accomplish more than those who know how. Think about that. Those who know why often accomplish more than those who know how. You know, my, my mother, when I think of Mother's Day, I'm, I'm grateful for many of the things my mother tolerated and put up with in my life. Uh, many, many stories, the times I pulled flowers up three times in one day is an interesting little tale. I pulled the petals off on the last one. Make it, make it right. But uh, early in my parents' marriage, uh, they were struggling along, uh, and they became separated, actually. And uh, my dad had gotten a job in California with uh, NCR, National Cash Register. It's just called NCR today. But, uh, and he moved out, to, they were separated already, and he moved out to California, and then they were trying to they were trying to get back together, and my mom moved out with a little three-year-old girl and a little six-month-old little old boy, me. 
And uh, she moved out there to try to make it right. And uh, they were about four months, and and uh, somehow she was thinking she was pregnant, and uh, he had kind of took care of that business before, and so it was kind of like, how could this be? And and she was going to the doctor that day, and she found out that she wasn't, and she came back home, and my dad, <clears throat> well, he didn't come home, and three days later. The sheriff shows up at the door. And he drove up into the foothills of Southern California and put a pipe in the trunk. Went to sleep. Three days later in a hot sun, it was bagging the body and that was it. And there was my mom at 23, 23, the three-year-old and a six-month-old, alone in California. I asked the question, who does that? Who does that? Someone that doesn't know why. That's who does that. But no one had to tell my mother why to keep going. Why do you think she kept going? A little three-year-old girl, a little six-month-old boy. She had a why. And she kept going. And she found someone else that knew why. And I remember my, my dad, who I know is my dad, a year and a half later, they were married. And someone mistakenly referred to Marie's kids. Quiet man that he is. Those are our kids. And he had a why. You know, why do we exist? You know, I recently went through uh, a bunch of changes in my company. And, and you know, I've gone through a couple of business books that are, are really good at establishing, you know, why do you exist? And coming up, answering some key questions to, to why you're in business and stuff. And it's real practical. But, you know, that's pretty practical for yourself, too. Maybe put a little thought into why do you exist? And I didn't write it down there. You can see in your bulletin there is a little piece of paper. Why do I exist? And this is mine. This is for my company. This is for everything I do. I exist to set people free to a more abundant life. That's, that's why I exist. Could you tell what I do by that reason? Do you know I'm an arborist because I exist to set people free to a more abundant life? No. That's why I exist. I just happen to work with trees. It doesn't change why I exist. So I exist to set people free. And I got some passages. You can turn John 10, 10. You know, abundance. Uh, abundant life. What, what did Jesus come to do? The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's why Christ came. To make it an abundant life. Seems like a good thing to follow. If we go to uh, Ephesians 3... 320, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do abundantly. And you know, in this world today, 
I'll deal with that a little bit. We're coming back to abundance later. So, um, Hebrews 12, too. You know, Hebrews 12 was one of my favorite passages. Why did Christ do what he did? We're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. What was that joy set before him? It follows. Despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He got the kingdom. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had a why. And a why that enabled him to do the most utter thing of, of separating himself from his father. Uh, that's a, a story in itself, but uh, something we could never even fathom doing. And he was able to set that aside. Um, and, and that's an example as we move on. Once you establish why you exist, you have to figure out what you value. And you can, you know, to do this, I, I put up a, a big whiteboard and I wrote down everything I value, like, you know, 50 words. And you get it all up there and you're staring at it and you go, okay, well, what, what's really significant? And you narrow it down, you know, and you kind of do that elimination game. And pretty soon you got three or five things. That, you know, that really describes what I value. And that's a process to come up with these. And I ended up with three. And the first is servant leadership. And Philippians 2, just about the whole chapter, but Philippians 2 is just a great uh, example of servant leadership. If you turn there, we'll sit on this for a little while. I had the pleasure of preaching all the way through the book of Philippians a few years ago. That was very impactful in my life. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, and now if you're observant, verse 2 is like parallel poetry with verse 1. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, encouragement. Maintaining the same love, the consolation of love. United in spirit, Fellowship, intent on one purpose, affection and compassion. And how is that displayed? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who... Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Equality with God, not a thing to be grasped. What are you holding on to? What what are you holding on to that's so important that you have to put others aside? What are you holding on to? But emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, the joy set before him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know, when we're being selfish, usually grumbling and disputing is, is in the mix somewhere. And, uh, you know, that work out our salvation, and, and it's, the, it's God that's at work in us. And we'll come into that in the, in the next thing, extreme ownership. You know, I, uh, that's the title of a book. Is Pastor Steve here today? There he is. I'm holding your book here. This is yours. This is by Jocko Willick and Leif Babin, two SEAL team commanders in, uh, in Iraq, Ramadi. They were there. Uh, incredible. It's a great listen on Audible, if you got Audible. Extreme ownership. You won't put it down. They read it, so you know it, it's real. But it talks in there. Uh, it tells the story of early on, they were doing this operation, and it was everything was crazy. They had several different units out in this one district, and and in the fog of war was in play. You know, literally smoke and dust, and they were burning tires in the streets, and they had all kinds of stuff to deal with. And and Jocko was driving around in a armored vehicle with a couple other commanders, kind of bouncing between teams, and and they'd heard that somebody was calling for heavy heavy support. Like they wanted the M1 tanks. And they f- decided to follow one of these tanks in to where it was going. And it, it parks up in front of this building, trains its gun on the, the building they were instructed to. And Jocko gets out and he's like, something ain't right. Something just isn't right. You know, he had a feeling. And he comes up to the Marine commander that was there. He says, what's going on? He goes, man, there's some mooj in there. And it, it's like, they're hot. You know, we got a big one going on. And uh, we're about to call in air support. So, like, if the tank doesn't quite do it, they're going to they're gonna drop stuff on this building. And he's like, you know, he knew he had another SEAL team somewhere not far. And they had radioed in that they had to change location, hadn't radioed in their new location yet. He's like, I'm going in. And he grabs a guy with him, and they, they go up to the door. And the door of the we're in a compound, but the door of the building is kind of partly open, and he and he kicks it open, and he's looking at another commander. He's like, "How'd you just come through there, man? There was hell coming from that out there." And he's like, "It's blue on blue, blue on blue. It's like seals on seals shooting at each other. They put like empty reels fifty cal into that building." And he's like, "What?" Like, what do you got? And he's like, one, one guy fragged in the face, one, uh, one Iraqi down. And what happened is one of the embedded Iraqi soldiers had walked out into the compound, and there was, you know, fog and whatever, and one of the other units, men, capped him. And then, boom, it was on. And nobody knew who was who. It was just bullets flying. And there was that casualty and then one minor frag in a face, fragment, you know, of a bullet. And, and that was it. Of course, brass is coming in, right, to investigate this. 
and Jocko is, is going through everything. There's several mistakes that were made, you know. And he's up there and he's asking everybody, whose fault is this? And the, the guy raised his hand, I, I shot the Iraqi. I should have identified my target. Nope, it's not your fault. Whose fault is this? And he lets about five or six guys out themselves. And he says, nope, you're all wrong. My fault. And he said, I'm never going to let this happen again. And he took it right in front of the brass and everything. And he kept his job. And they became one of the best. I mean, they, they, they locked down Ramadi in the next year and a half. And it was just a super successful, you know, as war is. But he took extreme ownership. It was, it was on him. And when I think of, of Jeremy's foundational messages, you know, man is a responsible agent. First, one of the first big commissions that he got was, was to work and to keep the garden. What do you think our idea of retirement should be if work and to keep is one of the foundational things we should be worried about? I think our mind has been distorted. I'm not saying we keep doing the same thing that we're doing all our lives, but we need to be active about something. We need a why. We need a why. It doesn't matter how old you are to have a why. It doesn't mean your, your why has to be directly connected to your money. It doesn't have to mean anything. It's a why. It's going to make you active. It's going to make you working. It's going to make you keeping. It's going to keep you on track to what God wants you to do. What do you value? Extreme ownership is one of my values because it, it reminds me that I'm a responsible agent. Now I understand some other things. Um, if you look at uh, Galatians 2.20, great little book, another little book. There's some other passages there we can bounce to, but Galatians 2.20. I've got a few of these up here. So, if you want, experiencing Jesus. I know there's probably some out there. No? Jeremy says no, but this is a great little book. The elder team is, is, is going through it. And, and I've, been, I've been all the way through it. it. It just really brings to a practical reality what our situation is as humans and, and how, as responsible agents, we're, we're taking action, but it's really Christ that works in us. And let's look at, at 2.20 in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Back to Philippians 2, the example of what he gave. Now the question to ask here is, what part of me was crucified? Have you ever thought about that? Like what part of me died? How come I still sin? That's supposed to be dead. And if you think about the, the theology of, of the human spirit, soul, and body, it's kind of three trifecta there. And it's our spirit that died with Christ. And it's the spirit of Christ that indwells us. And that provision is there. 
We just have to tap into it. It's there. That provision to be able to be as in 1 John, like unable to sin. That provision is there. Our old man, though, is still our, our soul and our body. We're still, we're still there. It's still an influence in our body. We can ignore the Spirit of Christ. And obviously, when we're sinning, we're doing that. And, and I brought up the little book, uh, Practicing the Presence of God, written by Brother Lawrence about 600 years ago. And, and he uh, talks about just always engaging with Christ. And it's a similar principle that, that uh, John Van Gelderlin is, is bringing out here on, on just acknowledging the Spirit of Christ in our life. And, and he has a little illustration here of, of uh, thanking Christ. When, like, when you're faced with something, thanking Christ for that, whatever that trial is in front of you, and then accepting the provision that he provides. Rather than reacting with our human side, I think just the other day, I'm embarrassed. Friday we're working, we're doing this huge job. They're two 90-foot mul- uh, mulberries, hackberries. Thank you. Master arborist, whatever. 90-foot <laughs> hackberries, 30-plus inches in diameter. Taylor's up one, I'm up the other. It's all day, you know. I, I'm like 54. I'm not out in the field that much. And that day, my arms were cramping. I was just dying, you know. And at the end of the day, I'm down, I'm moving wood. And and we're, you know, and we took this out, and there's pretty little impact. We dented the lawn in some places, but like they had all these gardens here and all these little flowers. And there was this one little flower kind of had a woody stem and then it had other stuff below it. And I thought, we're protecting that. And I'm on the loader and I, I drop this piece of wood and it goes over and it breaks that thing off. And we're on like intercom, right? And like, I, I let an expletive fly. Yeah, I did. Bugged me. i tired, worn out. Eli and Nick are online with me. I'm like, oh, that's a great example. Thank you, Jesus. And then accept the provision that he's giving me. That's all I have to do. Isn't that something? That's like a paradigm shift. Rather than exclaiming something that might come far too naturally to some of us, thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. Because that's what I treat. That's what I treat things that go wrong on the job site. Something big can go wrong, and then I'll say, okay, how are we going to make this a positive? You know, how, how is the customer going to be happy we made that mistake? That's, that's my attitude. That's my attitude when something goes wrong. And, but here, bring that down on the micro level, on something that really gets you, like you, you go off before it gets you, or you, you make a failure before it before you're able to correct it. What if when that temptation is right in front of you, you just say, thank you, Jesus. He's right there. His spirit is in us. He's so simple. You know, we got, (laughs) this is is another embarrassing thing. We got home from winter management conference. They suffer us to places like Maui and and, uh, St. Kitts. It was this year. I mean, can you believe they make us go there and learn things? 
And so Lisa and I got back, and I thought I was doing really well, you know, diet-wise. And I step on the scale, and I'm like, at a record high, a record high weight. And Lisa's laughing or something. And she says, give me a week. Give me a week. You don't need anything but what I tell you. Okay, you got a week. So a week, you know, and I'm like looking at her. And uh, really? Yeah, okay. Ten pounds down in a week. Two weeks? Oh, I told her she earned week two. Two weeks? <laughs> 13, 15. I was 32 and a half pounds down this morning. you believe that? Yeah. She's a rock star. No fancy keto thing, nothing. Just portion control. Control. It's just Lisa control. That's it. Simple paradigm. Now, let's, do you have that picture, Mitch? There you go. There's little Sophie. She's 100 pounds. That kibble in the big bowl, that was there since the morning. This is like 5 o'clock at night last night. What's in the little bowl is like partially cooked bloody meat. Good steak, good sirloin steak. I put it in the bowl about three minutes before this picture was taken. Walking around, I said, wait. And I'm walking around the kitchen. I thought, oh, I better take a picture. This will be a good illustration. I grabbed my camera. I took the picture. And then a couple more minutes, I said, okay. And she got up. Her eyes did not leave me. Never did she look at the meat. Not once. I, there's a lesson there. It's a dog. Never did her eyes leave me. Why? Because that the yes was coming from me. And she just knew by condition not to go because she's going to get dragged back to the seat if she went. But her eyes didn't leave me. What if our eyes never left Christ? He's right there. He's with us all the time. What if our eyes never left him? Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. What if? Wow. That could be something. Unlimited abundance. When I said, okay. She always eats that little bowl all the way gone. She whittles away at the kibble. Uh, unlimited abundance. You know, we live in a world today, scarcity. How many of you have been hearing scarcity since you were a kid? Like, we're going to run out of this, we're going to run out of that. Oil's going to be gone by, it was probably like 1990 or something, originally. When I was a kid, uh, there were going to be no, like the northern plains are going to be shut down with the new ice age. I went home in second grade. Mom, I'm scared. You know, is a is the glacier gonna wreck our house? Second grade. That's what I'm thinking. Is a glacier gonna wreck our house? This is what they told us. The ice age was coming. These little kids that are in here, they're like, What? They say the world's getting warmer. Yeah, that's their thing now. But it's always been scarcity. Something's gonna run out. You know, I've read the back of the book. I don't see resources ever being the issue that makes the world come to an end. Nothing's going to run out here. And when, when the world's kind of all in turmoil there, then God like restores it. <laughs> so as a Christian, I, I'm not really concerned. I know about stewardship. And of course, we're going to have stewardship with what we have. 
But the idea of scarcity is prevalent in our world today. But God, Christ came that we might have life and might have it abundantly. There's no scarcity. You know, the oil wells in Texas that were dry now have oil in them. Where'd that come from? I don't know. But there's an abundance outside of just our resources that we have. God wants to supply abundance in many ways. And not just in this world, but in, in the future world. You know, uh, you can look at the abundance passages in John 10 and John, uh, Ephesians 3 like we did, but let's look at Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the path of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you see the progression there? You're walking in the path. And you're standing and watching. And then you're sitting and partaking. It's kind of the path of temptation. Can't even find it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. What will he be? He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There is an abundance in following God's word and following the example of Christ. And in ways that we can't even measure. Now, and I'm not talking earthly abundance. I'm not talking success theology here or anything crazy like that. There's, there's joy. Like the joy talked of in James 1. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That kind of abundance. Or how about this? 2 Peter 1, 5-11. through 11. This is one of my favorite passages. If, if, this, if this passage can't light a fire under you, maybe your wood's wet, like Jeremy said. He said, I'm not supposed to be like Jeremy. So. Now, this, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now that's the kind of abundance that should rock your world. The eternal abundance. The reward that we have after all this is over. You know, we aren't saved by our works, but our works apply to something. And it's that future reward. 
that future reward. And it can be abundantly supplied to us if we apply these qualities. And how do we apply these qualities? Go back to Galatians 2. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. Let's go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 is one of my favorite passages. I think I said that. Is that a senior moment when you start to repeat yourself? You know what? In the, in the Precision Rifle series, I'm in the, I'm in the senior club. <laughs> Probably because your eyes are failing by age 50, so they, they put you in there. But anyways, I digress. Uh, all discipline for the moment seems, to be, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification with which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he now found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. You know, there, I haven't fully studied out you know, the Bema seat, but where there's reward, there's lack of reward. There's opportunity lost. How, how cognizant we're going to be of those opportunities lost. But you mentioned Esau here. He had an opportunity lost that he felt pretty dearly. Can you imagine him sitting in front of his father? What? What? I'll kill him. That's what he said. But if you go back, this is, this is really interesting. If you go back to Genesis 32... When Jacob is coming back, he's been gone since that moment of betrayal. And he's coming back, and he sends some messengers out ahead because he knows Esau's still there. And he goes, go tell him I'm coming, and this is what's happened to me, and I wish to be reunited. And the men come back in 32, verse 6, and they say, Esau is coming, and he has 400 men and horses with him. And what was Jacob? Greatly afraid. Now later, it mentions, it mentions Esau, or, uh, Jacob's family, and the only child of all his children that are mentioned by name is Joseph. He's about seven years old at this time. And, and once that news comes in that Esau is coming with foreign men and and. Jacob's greatly afraid. He's rushing around the camp and he's putting together like three groups of gifts that he's going to like inundate Esau with to try to soften him. And he's rushing around. What do you think is in the mind of a seven-year-old watching his father running around with fear? 
What's going through the seven-year-old's mind? Just feel that. And then that night, Jacob wrestles, probably with the pre-incarnate Christ, right? And he comes out in the morning limping. I'm sure Joseph saw that. And then here comes Esau. Imagine the dust that 400 horses make. You feel the ground probably. And Jacob puts all his family in the background. Goes out. And he bows down on the ground. Esau probably dismounts. He's coming toward him. What do you think Joseph's doing right there? He's watching. Esau comes up. Hugs him. You feel Joseph. You feel him. He probably wept. It was from, my dad's going to get killed. To rejoicing. Wow. And we always talk bad about Esau. But what if? What if in the end he came around? And it was for a moment such as that that would influence Joseph who would one day have his 12 brothers bowing before him. And what did Joseph do? He wept. He went in the other room and he howled so loudly that his servants were like, what's going on? Because I think he had a flashback to that moment when he was seven. Who's watching you? Who's watching you? And what future historical event is going to echo in eternity because someone saw you standing like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, living in the abundance of what Christ has provided for you. You could be 90 right now. And in a single act, you could impact eternity. Time has no bearing on what God accomplishes in eternity through our lives. It doesn't matter what we've done prior. But from this day forward, it could be something different. If we just say thank you, Jesus. I'm going to read for you. I put together my life's purpose in Scripture. This is a paraphrase. Probably lengthy. Can you put that up? Yeah, there you go. When I look around and see all the opinions of what is right and what is wrong, I am encouraged that blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. When I look around and see all the evil in this world, I am compelled to ask, How? Can a young man keep his way pure? I am encouraged that I can do so by keeping it according to God's word. With all my heart I have sought him, with, who will not let me wander from my, his commandments. God's word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against him. Because his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I look around and see all the foolishness in this world, I am encouraged that I understand more than the aged because I have observed God's precepts. I don't need to let anyone look down upon me, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, I will show myself an example of those who believe. I will let my light shine before men in such a way that they may see my good works and glorify my Father who is in heaven. 
I will be diligent to present myself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. I will present my body a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is my spiritual service of worship. And I will not be conformed to this world, but I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Because I am in Christ and I am a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. For I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The time already passed is sufficient for me to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. And I know that when I am tempted, God is faithful to provide a way of escape that I may be able to endure it. But all is not perfect and difficult times will come. At those times, I will consider it all joy when I can encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of my faith produces endurance. And I will let endurance have its perfect result so I may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. For I know that blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And when the negative seems almost overpowering, I will, I'm encouraged. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise to dwell on these things, and if I am ever tempted to focus too much on myself, I will do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, I will regard others as more important than myself, not merely looking out for my own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. I will have this attitude in myself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every knee, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This I believe with all my heart, and I will proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that I will present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And with that power, I will run with endurance the race that is set before me, fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And I know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Therefore, I will run in such a way that I may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but I an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. To stay fit for this race, I will apply all diligence in my faith to supply moral excellence. And in my moral excellence, knowledge. And in my knowledge, self-control. And in my self-control, perseverance. And in my perseverance, godliness. And in my godliness, brotherly kindness. And brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are mine and are increasing, they render me neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I know, as long as I practice these things, I will never stumble. And that in this way, my entrance into the eternal kingdom of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to me.
Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And all of these things I will entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In God's book were all written the days that were ordained for me. When is yet? There was not one of them. I don't know. I know, actually, the days that were not meant to be my last. They're behind me. I don't know how many days I have left, but this I do know. By abiding in Christ and He in me, I will run the race. I will press on to the goal. I will shine my light so that by God's grace, I may one day hear those cherished words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord God, I thank you for the process of learning in our lives, that all through our lives, we're ever endeavoring to draw closer to you. And sometimes it's, it seems like a battle, and we have failures, but we know that you are faithful to forgive. And I pray that you can pick us up where we're at here, dust us off, and help us move forward from this point with new vigor, recognizing that our old spirit is, is crucified with Christ and is now Christ risen that lives within us, providing everything that we need to live a godly life and impact eternity as you would see fit to use us. We just pray you impart on our hearts your word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.